What's up, guys? Welcome to the fourth Uncle Stevie's Nephews podcast. It, we're recording this December 14th, so usually record on Sundays, but we changed it up this week. Um, lots of big news to talk about. Um, obviously, starting with James McCann, the Mets got their catcher for four years, around $40 million. There's no real – they haven't come out with the exact details of the deal yet, but what they're saying is like a tad over $40 million. Um, so that if you look at yearly, that's – around 10 million to 12.5 million, something around there. That's what I'm going with. Um, so obviously they have their catcher for four years. Um, just wanted to give the intro of it. And then obviously we're going to give our opinions on it. Um, then other things we're going to talk about, we're going to give the comparison between JT Rimuto and James McCann. Um, I don't know if we talked about that. I'm sure we did, but we'll go a little bit more in depth. Also the same day they signed James McCann, they got their GM, Jared Porter. We'll talk about that. Uh, how do you pronounce Dave Haas? Dave Haas? Anyone know? I would. So Haas sounds right. I like that. I was okay. gonna say Jaws, so your version sounds a lot. Oh, okay. Well, as you can tell, he, us not knowing his name means it's very insignificant. Um, then there's the Mets are interested in Liam Hendricks. We we'll talk about that. Jake Degrom and Conforto made the All MLB team. We'll talk about that and some possible trade rumors that SMY has had. So starting with James McCann, uh, my quick opinions on it. I'm very happy they made this move. I've seen a lot of things on Twitter, and this goes into the J2 Rumoots versus James McCann, which we'll get into. Um, but a lot of people saying that they got they he's way overvalued, and he's been a backup catcher, basically. And that's what a lot of people have been saying. And they've been saying, we got Uncle Stevie to go out and sign these big names. And yes, that's true, but with the amount of holes that the Mets have, they have to save their money somewhere so they can go out and sign other teams because there is a luxury tax in baseball and you can go over it, but most people don't really go over it. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, and James McCann, if you look at his averages, obviously it's been really these past two seasons where he's really shown himself and has become obviously in 2019 an all-star and could have been an all-star in 2020. Um, he's really shown that he can be a very good catcher in baseball, um, defensively and offensively. I'm not going to co- do the comparison to JT Remluto yet, but just the significant amount of money that they don't have to pay for JT Remluto and that can go out to go sign other players is huge and should be what Mets, fe- Mets, Mets fans celebrate um, with this deal. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Brian, because, I mean, a lot, I saw the same thing. A lot of people think the Mets may have overpaid for James McCann. But the way I look at it is that what was their alternative, really, in this kind of scenario? Because you could say that, all right, J.C. Muto was probably more money. But, again, the more important part is that it was not for four years. It probably was closer to seven. The fact that the Phillies flat out said we cannot bring back J. Trio Muto, the fact that the Mets flat out passed on J. Trio Muto shows how much he is truly asking for, which would really be the true overpay because we already saw that Real Muto had an injury last year. So if that's the thing that becomes a trend with him, all of a sudden he's going to be a 37-year-old catcher who's still paying him max dollars. I mean, a lot of people will be crushing the Mets for this deal later on, even though they want to crush him now for McCann. So if you did, I mean, these were his demands. If McCann said, no, I want four years, 40 million, take it or leave it, then that's what the Mets had to do because they had gotten to get a catcher. They could not take the risk of having McCann go elsewhere and then try and deal with Tomas Neal or Ali Sanchez. That would have been a nightmare scenario for them. 
And Jason McCann, like you said, he's showing improvement. The fact that he changed his stance led to more offense. The fact that he's talked about trying to be a better framer and the stats show that shows that he is on an upwards trend. And he doesn't have a lot of games on him, doesn't have a bad injury history recently like the way Real Muto did. So I think that this definitely is a quality sign because, like you said, it allows them to do the other things that they plan to do. I, I don't think they would have gotten McCann if they didn't have the intentions of, okay, we're still going to have more things to do. I mean, I have to agree with both of you, James McCann. Obviously, like, I already wanted him a lot more than J.C. Ramuto just off the bat because of the money, the contract. We already know that Ramuto is not going to be the catcher he is now in eight years or seven years. Whatever that contract was worth, it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, McCann, he's definitely been kind of, like, under the radar hidden until 2018, 2019. Now he has his, like, recent surgeons. I think he's on a hot streak, and I can't wait to see what he's going to do for the Mets. Um, like I said, money-wise, I think it's a great deal. I don't think it's too much, honestly. I, mean, I was hoping for more of a two or three years since he is 30 years old, and we've had a history with Mets catchers not doing well around that age. But if I'll bite the bullet and take that four-year deal, uh, possibly 10 to 12.5 million a year. I'm okay with that. He's, he's the best median choice for us right now, especially trying to make the World Series run. And I think the other important thing about McCann is that it's very similar to what Wilson Ramos was making. And McCann's a few years younger than Ramos. We know he's probably better than him. Mm -hmm. And here's the other thing about catcher. You could say, all right, well, maybe in the fourth year, McCann's not going to have that much value. Maybe Francisco Alvarez is ready by then. Here's the thing about catcher. You need two catchers because no catcher is playing 162 games. Yeah. A good chunk of it is going to be the backup catcher. And if McCann turns into a backup catcher in his fourth year, you can't be mad at that. So I think that even in that fourth year, he still will hold pretty good value for this team. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. And one thing that um, at least me and my brother were talking about is people are starting to think about, like, what JT Ramuto is actually going to get now that James McCann's off the board. And it could really go two ways. One way, he sees that he's way overvaluing, overvaluing himself and lowers the amount of money he gets, or he's the only catcher left on the market really – um, and he could still get insane amount of money. I'm sure it's going to go down a little bit. Um, and I know what a lot of Mets fans are concerned about, what I'm a little bit concerned about is by the end of this offseason, he's going to end up signing a deal that's much less than what he's asking for, and Mets fans are going to look at this and say, great, so we could have gotten JT Muto, who's better than James McCann, for a much cheaper deal. Um, but one thing you have to consider is when you go into these off seasons, there's obviously for the Mets this season, um, this off season, there's a lot of other things they need, like I said, and getting someone off the board, getting that catch position done with allows you to finally focus on other things. Um, gets like, I don't know what you want to call it, your fan base or like these ghosts off your shoulder that you have to go out and sign a catcher. And now you can focus on other things. Um, it's something huge and you don't want, you don't want it to end up being that JT Ramuto never loses his, his price and James McCann's already gone and then you're left with some Yadier Molina as your starting catcher. Um, and that's definitely something that you need that you need to consider looking at this. Um, and then, it, then again, um, I had something I wanted to say. You guys have any things before I... As I try to yeah, I, I was going to say that Real Muto is now become one of the more fascinating free agents because the other two teams that I could consider him really, apparently, I guess the Angels, since they were looking at McCann, mm -hmm. and then the Toronto Blue Jays mm -hmm. because we know they want to spend a lot of money. And I think that now, if he doesn't go back to the Phillies, which would be only if he lowered his price, it could have a direct impact on what the Mets do because – if Lester Muto goes to the Blue Jays, I think that Springer is the, going to the Mets. Or if he goes to the Angels, it makes Bauer easier to get to the Mets. So mm. he kind of like 
opens these different pathways for the team to take now that they definitely don't need him. Because he's going to sign somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Blue Jays or Angels would be willing to meet those asking prices, which would make it hard for them to get those other free agents to make it easier for the Mets. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't remember what I was going to say, but <laughs> that brings up a good point. I mean, it seems like there's, like, really, like, three teams that are going after the same players. It's, like, the Mets, Angels, Blue Jays, mm-hmm. George Springer, uh, Trevor Bauer, JT Muto, James McCann. Um, so, it's, it's interesting, and that totally brings up a good point. And maybe Uncle Stevie has a big brain and is thinking about that. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> that is a totally valid point because he's going to probably sign with the Blue Jays or the Angels. And that takes them out of the running for other players, most likely, unless they're willing to go all in this offseason as well. Um, and that kind of leads us to our comparison between JT Ramos and James McCann. Obviously, we've been, we've been talking about it for a while, but... JT Ramoto is better offensively, defensively, but not really by enough, by enough to actually make that big of a difference between $25 million, $10 million. Um, and that's something that has been considered this whole offseason. Is it worth paying that extra $15 million to get JT Ramoto, who's definitely better, but is he better enough to be willing to give that to money to? And Obviously, the Mets made the decision to go with James McCann. We think it's the smart decision. I think most Mets fans that are actually interested and understand the financial situation for both sides between the free agent and the team that they're signing with understand that it was a smart move for the Mets to go out and sign James McCann because we still want to go out and sign possibly Trevor Bauer and George Springer or one of them. Um, Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Hold on. Before the comparison, what I want to say is that if it ends up being that the Mets offseason is only James McCann and they miss out on George Springer and Trevor Bauer, then I totally get the argument why people would be upset by that. Because let's say the Mets only had one hole to fill and that was catcher. I wouldn't mind them going all in on a catcher like JT Ramuto. But as we said, since there's so many holes on this team, you have to be willing to make sacrifices here and there. And a James McCann sacrifice isn't the biggest sacrifice because he's very similar in talent to JT Ramuto. Now, going back to the comparison, in my opinion, obviously James McCann is a better catcher. We've been talking about this for weeks. I mean, James McCann isn't the better catcher, but JT Ramoto is the better catcher. Um, but it's not that big of a difference. I would, yeah, I that's why I put out the – oh, go ahead, Spencer. <laughs> oh, no, it, it's good. You can go. No, I, I was saying about that post that SNY put out there when they showed like yeah. the side-by-side between the two of them. I mean, the numbers are really close, especially the past two years where we're talking about McCann having those surges, like, in his improvements. The average, I mean, just last year, McCann's average was better. McCann did not have the hip injury and having to finish the year at first base, so I definitely think that that's encouraging. Just the fact that his defensive numbers are getting better, especially the framing. Like, I mean, he's going to get the job done. Again, it's an upgrade over what they have. And like you said, it's not this huge difference where it's like you have to way overpay for Real Muto and potentially put yourself at the risk of not being able to get Springer and or Bauer or more mm-hmm. bullpen help. Because, I mean, there still is more things this team could do besides those star players. A fourth outfielder instead of Guillermo Hereda, maybe more mm-hmm. pitching depth. You know, there are other ways the Mets could go about this. And now that you have gone, like you said, got the need taken care of, you can look at how many different combinations you want to do things. If maybe you get Bauer but don't get Springer. But whatever the scenario is, you're much more planned out for it because you have that need taken care of. 
one thing that I didn't even think about until now, we're looking at the stat charts, is that Real Muto, I, it, catching is all about durability and how long you can stay in your position. He already has 70, 732 games compared to McCann's 601. That's almost a whole season longer, and they've had the same amount of experience in the MLB. He's going to deteriorate a lot quicker than McCann will. That's a and we already very, saw that this year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the thing because I saw that too. I'm just it, I think it was on Twitter. Um, yeah, I saw I it on Instagram it. as well. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I was on Instagram. Posted it. Yeah. Okay, that's easier to find. Just because there were some things that I wanted to say about that. Here we go. Here we go. Everyone hold yeah, on. Yeah, the difference room for Ramuto, the only thing it he is. really had was the home runs. But, I mean, yeah. how much of a difference does that really make? I mean, if the guy still gives me a, a good, a better average, if he still gives me the good framing, home runs aren't really that big of a deal. Especially the fact that Ramuto was playing in Citizens Bank compared to U.S. Cellular Field. You know, mm-hmm. Philly is a really yeah. easy place to hit home runs out. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at this now. The only real difference is home runs. Uh, G. Ramuto leads him by 11 home runs, 36 to 25. And then they also put in the pitch framing that G. Ramuto is in the 95th percentile and James McCann is, is in the 88th percentile. So there's a difference, but James McCann's still one of the top uh, pitch framers in the league. So there's not that big of a difference when you look at this. Obviously, they left some things out. I would like to know what the difference in RBIs is. Actually, we have it here. Um, if I could do the math quickly, but we also have to remember that that's not that big. Mutsu has significantly more games played and more plate appearances. So no matter what, you would expect his home mm-hmm. runs or RBIs to be higher. Sure. I mean, just on a basic math equation. And the fact right, that because you know, Mutsu is a starter. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that. People People say, oh, well, he was a backup catcher. Yeah, the reason why he was a backup catcher is because the White Sox, since they had a DH, they had the benefit of being able to DH him and going out to get Grandal. You know, it wasn't because McCann was a bad catcher by any means. I mean, mm-hmm. how could somebody have an all-star year for you in 2019 at catcher and be like, you know what position we have to upgrade catcher? You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that doesn't work. And maybe the fact that they were – they thought ahead that, okay, Grandal's on the market. We know McCann is going to be a free agent the following season. Let's get a catcher now so we don't have to put ourselves in the scenario where we have to pay a bunch for JT Muto and the White Sox could go out and get Lance Lynn and all the other things they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally true. Um, I mean, the comparisons are going to keep on going till the season, really, and then it's just going to continue because, um, obviously, this was a, a big decision that they had to make. It kind of reminds me – it's not that similar, but – I we just post I just posted an Ike Davis highlight and I was thinking back to when the Mets had to decide between Ike Davis and Lucas Duda all those years ago and they decided with Lo- Lucas Duda which was a smart decision Ike Davis turned into nothing but I don't know that just came into my head okay um, the next thing I want to talk about same day um, the Mets signed James McCann later at in the night they signed Jared Porter to be their GM um, listen my opinion on Jared Porter I like him all his accolades I mean he was seems to be like Theo Epstein's protege. Um, he was under him in the Red Sox. He was under him with the Cubs both times where they flipped the organization upside down and made them World Series champions in both situations. So J- J- Jared Porter knows how to do it. He's learned from Theo Epstein. Um, and all everyone on Twitter, um, everyone all over the place was just saying how great a person Jared Porter is. Um, how good he has been in the whole baseball world, things like that. And those are things that you want to see. I mean, I don't really see 
a team hiring someone and people saying bad things about the person, but everyone was <laughs> saying how, how great a person he is, um, which I obviously like when there's good people on a team, not good people in town, good people in traits and things like that as an overall person. But I mean, his baseball stuff is totally there as well. He was the, just the, it was the assistant GM for the Diamondbacks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he was just the assistant GM for the Diamondbacks. Um, Matt's hired him. He's going to be learning under Sandy Alderson. When Sandy Alderson leaves in two years, it'll probably be all Jared Porter, unless he somehow is able to push the OF scene to come in. But I don't think that's their plan. Um, so I, I really like the move. I haven't been that into the GM search um, just because I haven't been paying attention to it, but I, I think it makes sense on all fronts for the Mets. Yeah. And, and I, I said that I just think this matches so much more what Cohen was looking for in his opening press conference. where he said not to learn his dime because we talked about Chris Young. He would have been an experiment, you know, no front office experience at all trying to come in here and learn. Meanwhile, Porter has plenty of experience, you know, yeah. more than enough. So he definitely matches more of what the Mets were going for. And he learned under good organizations. He learned under organizations that have won. You know, the guy has three World Series rings. So he definitely knows what it takes in a front office to go to the next level. And just the fact that he's done all these different roles, whether it's player development, whether it's scouting, whether it's GM, like he's been around in the front office. And I feel that since the Mets fired so many guys, they've had a hard time really filling in all these spots. Porter could be a guy that really bounces around for them since he doesn't have that much say, since he doesn't have to do too much, since Sandy is really the guy in charge. So I think he's a perfect guy just having your front office doing multiple things. I just like the fact that he had to grind from 2004 all the way till now to get the yeah. GM position. And he went through all these different positions, mm -hmm. like you said, Frank. And I especially like the fact that he was scouting for so long and he was an assistant director of scouting and became a director of scouting. That shows a lot for what his worth is. He's not just about the money. He's going to know the hidden tricks of the trade of finding baseball players that we need on the team. It's not just stats. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you know, he, he started in as an intern. And just the fact that it was like you said scouting, then scouting director, then assistant mm -hmm. GM. Now he's GM. So he just keeps moving up and he just keeps working, you know, doesn't settle. So it definitely is good to see that the guy definitely has a work ethic, which, I mean, you have to want in any business. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that he keeps moving up, there's obviously talent there. So um, Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he was doing a crappy keep, job, I mean. He wouldn't be moved yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah, wouldn't want him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so next thing, Mets uh, got Dave. I'm going to go with House uh, as the bench coach. I like it. Uh, I like it. <laughs> that'll be his name for now on. And so – Basically, me not knowing the name kind of just signifies how I don't find it that important. Um, I mean, bench coaches are there for a reason, obviously, to help out. But, yeah, they don't have that big of an impact, at least as what I know about baseball. Um, yeah, I mean, there's not much there for me to say. I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to say about them. Yeah, I, I want to say that bench coach is probably one of the most overrated things in all of baseball because <laughs> if you remember, Mickey Cowie's first year was brutal, made so many bad decisions. So they're like, oh, you have to get Riggleman. So the Mets get Riggleman, who has all this experience as a National League manager, as the bench coach. They're like, oh, watch, Mickey Cowie's going to be better now. He's not going to make dumb decisions anymore, and it made no difference. You know, Mickey Cowie still stunk. So the bench coach really did not have that much of an impact. But what I find fascinating here is I think Luis Rojas should have had a pretty big say in this, and I'm just curious mm. as to why he picked, you know, Dave. I wonder what it was in particular. Obviously, he's another guy who has plenty of experience. He was with Jerry Manuel at the Mets. But that was yeah. – I think that's before Rojas was with the Mets. I, I'm not mm, sure if he was with the organization quite yeah. yet. So I just wonder what it was – 
about him that if Rojas had this decision, which I hope he would, they were like, mm-hmm. this is the guy. That would just be my um, biggest takeaway. Like, why him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, very true. Um, yeah. Not much more to say about him. Next up, um, the Mets. There's been reports that the Mets are interested in Liam Hendricks. I think I saw that they're going to – it seems like they have, like, four other competitors for him. There's people interested in Liam Hendricks, mm-hmm. obviously – Specifically because of his last two seasons. If you go back in time, he was a pretty not the greatest reliever. But it seems like he might have figured it out. Um, just going, 2019 was an all-star, 1.8 ERA. Um, 2020, also basically an all-star, 1.78 ERA. Um, he's 30-31, so probably looking at like probably one or two-year deal, especially because he's a reliever. But, I mean, he's... In my opinion, when when I look to sign relievers, I want someone who's kind of consistent. And it seems like he's figured something out. If you can do something for two years in a row, for me, that's especially for relievers, that's somewhat of consistency. Because if you watch baseball enough, you know that like relievers are kind of like field goal kickers. Like they have it one year and then they just completely lose it the next year. And um, someone like Seth Lugo is a perfect example. It seems like he's figured out how to be a reliever and to be efficient every season and then you look at someone like Jerry Familia who was outstanding for the Mets back in 2015 and has completely lost it since then basically completely lost it he he has his moments um but if you can figure it out for two years at least for me that's how I look at it that's a player that I want as a reliever and I mean he's been a great closer for the athletics um and I mean I don't know what his role would be with the Mets. I would imagine closer because I don't really want if you get if you sign Liam Hendricks, there's no reason for Edwin Diaz to be your closer at this point. Um, Edwin Diaz can be your eighth inning guy, um, and it seems like Edwin Diaz is much better in that role comparatively. Yeah, I, I think the fact that we saw Hendricks uh, also this year on the postseason stage against the White Sox go multiple innings, I think that was another good sign that this is a guy that can handle pressure because when you're out in Oakland, you may worry about that because in New York, there's always going to be pressure. And Edwin Diaz has learned oh, yeah. that, the difference between Seattle and New <laughs> yeah. York. So the fact that that's already another good thing about Liam Hendricks, like you said, the back-to-back, not only good years, but great years are a great sign because we see, mm-hmm. like you said, so many relievers that one year they're good, one year not so good. So that also is encouraging. But what I think this is really good for the Mets is that it's a great backup plan if you don't get Bauer because what it allows for you to do is that if you have Hendricks in your bullpen plus Trevor May plus Diaz, it allows you to keep Lugo in the rotation. You know, you don't mm. have to have him in the bullpen. And then Lugo could kind of be like a placeholder to a guard because if then you had that bullpen of May and Hendricks and Lugo and Diaz, the Mets finally have a good bullpen. And that's like a lot of quality innings that you can get out of these guys. And it would just make the Mets a drastically different team compared to years past. And you don't have to rely on Batances that much. You don't have to rely on Familia that much. It just would make this Mets team a lot better. So, I mean, I, I kind of see them as like a backup plan because they got both their stars and him. Wow, that, that is some offseason right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just speaking on Liam Hendricks and how in- inconsistency is a thing, I remember that the Mets signed Jerry Blevins this uh, week. Do you guys have anything else on Liam, Liam Hendricks before I go to someone else? No? Okay. So, Mets signed Jerry Blevins. Um, his in- inconsistency is something that I remember. I mean, uh, I'm just – for two – okay, so – for two seasons, he was good. So this kind of breaks my rule. But um, for two seasons, he was good. Then he 
semi lost it in 2018, and then he moved on to the Braves in 2019, 3.9 ERA. But when he was in the with the Mets, wait, he was with the Mets. Oh, they traded for him in 2015. Uh, no, uh, yeah, they did. They traded with the Nationals. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they 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 had him for basically two and a half seasons. Um, he played seven games in 2015, but 2016, 2017. 2.79 ERA, 2.94 ERA. So he was, I think, in 2016, kind of like a left-handed specialist. Actually, no, 2016, yeah. 2017, left-handed specialist. Then 2018, um, if I'm re- remembering correctly, he did better against right-handers um, compared to left-handers. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah so he, he kind of isn't really a left-handed specialist anymore, and we've talked about how that's basically non-existent anymore in the MLB this, uh, because of the three uh, – batter rule um but i mean he was he the mets signed to a minor league deal i think it's 1.25 million if he makes it to the majors things like that um and incentives i mean i I think it's a smart move it's a very low low risk high reward situation i mean you're signing him for so little it's kind of funny because he was very recently uh on baseball night in new york for on sny so i mean he went from analyst to player. Um, so it's kind of, well, he went from player to analyst to player. So it's kind of funny how that worked out. He is, I guess, 37 because he didn't play last yeah, year. He will be this year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so 37. Um, so, I mean, it's just a, I think, a low risk, high reward move. And I, I think it's smart. I think it's definitely going to help her yeah, depth no fact, matter what. Yeah. Just because mm-hmm. when you sign guys at that age for a one-year deal, especially a minor league contract, it's just it's nice and easy. You can stick them in AAA if you have to, but if they make it to the MLB, you're happy. So it's not the really much of a risk. I, I like it. Yeah, the most important thing is that it's minor leagues because if he was taking up another roster spot, it would just make things a lot more interesting with other player options and stuff like that. Mm. So, I mean, if Jerry Blevins looks good in spring training, and if there is a minor league season, he looks good in the minor leagues, and you're like, you know, we could probably use another left-hander or maybe just another reliever in general in our bullpen right. this year, then you call him up. If not, then, you know, n- nothing lost, nothing gained, you know, kind of like that. So, like you said, it's low risk, potential high reward. And anytime you get depth, something that the Mets have always failed to have, we talked about before, but when guys like Ariel Harado or Franklin Kilame have to make appearances, it gives you an idea of just how lack thereof the Mets' depth they have. So you get a guy like Blevins, at least you could trust him a little more in those kind of scenarios because only on left-handed the Mets have right now as a reliever is Daniel Zamora. And, I mean, Mm -hmm. Zamora, I don't really trust him that much. I would feel a little more confident with Blevins, especially if he could rediscover with what he has. And if Jeremy Hefner, like I said, is an amazing pitching coach, maybe he could find it uh, with Blevins. Hmm. Yeah. Also, I I just thought of another thing. Speaking of Jeremy Hefner, he had a – interview with SMY and said Marcus Stroman he he thinks will be a Cy Young winner this year or in the future um my thoughts on that listen I I like Marcus Stroman I think he could be a Cy Young winner um actually let me rephrase that it's kind of interesting how like Marcus Stroman has developed in like Mets fans minds because they got him in that trade and then he was okay for the Mets um and then people were like, yeah, you know, I don't really like Stroman. And now he's becoming, in a lot of Mets fans' minds, like a huge piece to the puzzle. And from the beginning, I did like Marcus Stroman, and I wasn't one of those Mets fans. Um, but it's kind of interesting how it's developed for Mets fans. Like, he's become, like, one of the key pieces to this team moving forward. Um, and in terms of if I think he's a Cy Young, 
possibility. I mean, anything's possible. Trevor, Trevor Bauer wasn't that great before this season, before the past two seasons, really. Um, so that would be amazing if Marcus Stroman turns into a Cy Young winner. There's not much more to say about that. I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you guys have anything you want to say about that. All I'll say is that he better, and he has to, because since he's on this one-year qualifying offer, if Stroman wants to get paid like this really good pitcher that he thinks he is, that uh, Jeremy Hefner thinks he could really get the most out of him, then he better mm-hmm. prove it to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm not just going to bank that, oh, Stroman's going to be an amazing number two, so the Mets don't need Bauer, or the Mets don't need that much else in the rotation. Right. You know, I don't want to go into the season banking on Stroman's going to be really good, Steven Matz is my number five pitcher, Syndergaard's going to okay. be healthy when he comes back and still be himself. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to bank on all those things. I want to be, you know, covered and not be like, oh, man, I wish we had signed another starting pitcher because – Look where we are now. Look where the Mets were last year when all these guys got hurt and didn't perform in the mm-hmm. rotation. So you always have got to make sure you have enough pitchers. And you know what? I hope he does do well. And he has potential. We know that. He has upside. He's had good years, had bad years. So we'll see what he does. Right on. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, next thing, not much to say here, but something I did want to throw in. So Dave DeGrom made first all MLB team. Mike Winfordo made second all MLB team. And just seeing this right now, I mean, something that you have to also consider with this offseason is Michael Conforto is someone that the Mets want to be able to extend um, either this offseason or throughout the season, and they need to have money to do that. Um, so that is probably going to impact George Springer and Trevor Bauer. We'll see if they can be creative somehow and make get it done, but um, Michael Conforto has continued to get better every season. He had, he had a blimp in his sophomore year um, where he wasn't good. But from there, he's continued to get better. Um, seems like he figured it out this, this last season with both hitting for average and power. Um, and he's a player that the Mets need to figure out how to extend. Um, and I'm a big Michael Conforto, Conforto fan. I think most Mets fans are. But ever since he's come up, he's reminded me of a David Wright type. And I don't want to let a David Wright type leave the Mets organization. He's another reason why you don't, don't sign J.T. Ramuto because, again, when you look at long term, yeah. look at the big picture, there's going to be other guys, whether Alonzo really becomes a perennial big-time power hitter or if McNeil continues to play the way he has. Those are the guys you want to extend. And if you have this long-term money committed to J.T. Ramuto, it makes it a lot harder to do that. Yeah. Because you know, it's easy to say, oh, Ramuto's better than McCann. Just sign Ramuto. But when you look at all the other reasons why you don't, because of the other players, because of the players you have in the future – it's why you really have to think long-term as well. Yeah. Okay. Now we're going to go into, I don't know, it's becoming a segment where the possible trades from SMY. Um, <laughs> the the homie Duquette, Jim he's Duquette. got more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim, du- Jim Duquette, the Mets past GM, always has ideas. There's a reason that he's not a GM anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> These trades are crazy. <laughs> so the first trade um, that we have here is we talked about a Sonny Gray trade last week. That was reported from Ken Rosenthal. But um, this trade that Jim Duquette said, Sonny Gray for Andres Jimenez and Drew Smith. Um, I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't know about that one. I, I'm more willing to trade a Med Rosario um, than Andres yeah. Jimenez. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't – it really depends what they do this offseason if they really have to go out and trade for Sonny Gray. But, I mean – I think Ahmed Rosario at this point is a trade piece for the Mets and should be put in de- deals like this and not Andres Jimenez. I think he Andres Jimenez proved himself last year a lot compared to what Ahmed Rosario has been doing for the Mets. 
Yeah, I agree. You put Rosario in, I'll, I'll make the deal. Yeah. I don't mind giving up Drew Smith. Um, next thing, Josh Hader. Josh Hader is definitely an interesting player. Um, he's had his situation with his tweet from when he was a teenager, right? Teenagers, Josh yeah, Hader? So, yeah. yeah. Um, his racist tweet. I, I wasn't really following that when that was going on. But, um, I mean, you have that side of him, but you also have his great pitching abilities that could totally make the Mets a completely elite um bullpen if they went out and got Josh Hader and what this trade is is JD Davis and Corey Oswald this if Josh Hader didn't have his past I would like 100% just say do that it's JT JD Davis and Corey Oswald for Josh Hader um and but when it's Josh Hader and his past like I always kind of think about do I want to be rooting for someone who has a past like that I mean it it was a tweet so like it's not like a horrible thing but what what he said, I don't remember what he said, but it was definitely something you shouldn't say. Um, and I, I, it's something that I've always like dealt with because I remember growing up. Like one of my big uh, points to Yankees fans is that the Yankees always have like these steroid players, and the Mets never have that, even though the Mets do have that. But that was just something that I always was thinking about. The Mets Cano. have all these nice, yeah. Yep. <laughs> the Mets have all these nice players. The Yankees don't. The, the Yankees are cheaters, and that's aren't. Um, and so that's always been like a sticking point for me. Um, and that was when I was in like third grade, I used to say that. But um, <laughs> listen, Josh Hader might not be the best guy. And it's something that I have to consider. If Josh Hader was like a really good person, I totally do that. I do a J.D. Davis and Corey Oswald for Josh Hader. What do you guys think? I would say that uh, the only problem with putting J.D. Davis in the trade is that you're going to find someone else that has to play third base. You know, I, I don't know if uh, that means I have to start Rosario. Like, I don't want to start Rosario mm. if I don't have to. You know what I mean? And so, and then I have to put Andres Mess at third base when his best position is really shortstop. You know what I mean? Because they don't want to put McNeil back mm. at third and try to have someone else move second base and then do one third last year. So, again, it, it's another one of those trades where it's like, okay, well, then you've got to do another move along yeah. with it. And still, you know, figure out the rotation. That's the, I mean, but on the surface, Josh Hare for J.D. Davis, I mean, that's a no-brainer. You take Josh Hader. But it yeah. also means that you're going to have to do something else at third base, which is the one downside of it. Mm. That's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah, there's not that many third base in that. I mean, we could be thinking about taking on as well as already signing Jason McCann, going after Bauer, mm-hmm. and even George yeah. Springer for, for that money. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I'm okay with signing Hendricks over doing this trade just for the fact of mm-hmm. the two-step factor that Frank brought up. But I would al- appreciate a lot more if we got rid of Rosario instead of J.D. Davis. Davis, I feel like, is a lot better of a hitter. I totally yeah, agree. Yeah, and he plays a, a much more important position. He doesn't chase as much as Ahmed. And also, I think Brad Hand is another very viable option right. because he's a left-hander. Yeah. He'll probably be even cheaper than Hendricks. So, I mean, there are other possibilities where I feel like with Sonny Gray – I, I think that there's more options in the reliever market than there is in starting pitcher as far as, like, guys with high upside. And, and I yeah. just think that um, starting rotation is also a bigger need for the Mets than bullpen is right now. You know, since they got Trevor May and Lugo might end up back in there. Yeah, very true. Um, okay, our last thing that I want to discuss. We have two minutes left on the recording on Zoom, so let's try and get this in. Um, so this isn't a big deal, but – um, Trevor Bauer had another YouTube video where he was ranking um, the fan bases, the, the teams that he's that are interested in him and how the fan bases have like tried to get him in. Um, 
So he ranked the Mets as the second best fan base behind the Angels. He's from North Hollywood, so the Angels are definitely on his radar. Um, don't know how much you want to read into this. Um, he did say how good, how exciting it is to be a Mets fan now, um, which is something to keep in mind. Um, there's not much there. You can't really take so much from this because if you know uh, Trevor Bauer, you know he tries to get himself, get people talking about him. So this could have just been one of those stunts. But um, I don't know. Do you guys have anything you want to say about that? Yeah, I mean, the Met fans, like, we should do a better job of trying to recruit him. But I, right. I think more importantly, it's going to come down to the front offices. Like, are the Angels better willing to meet Bauer's demands than the Mets are? That's what's really ultimately going to come down to. Because the fans could say how badly they want him. But if your team, like, the people in charge do not want him, it doesn't matter. Hmm. Yeah, totally agree. Um, okay, I think you guys have anything else you want to say? Or Okay, I think this wraps up the fourth Uncle Stevie Nephews podcast. Looking for some more things to happen next week. It makes for exciting podcast. Um, that about wraps it up. Follow us at the Met Universe and see you guys next week.